0: Dr. Mike Fullingham was preparing to serve the Lord as a gospel worker overseas. Early on in that process, he made a decision that following the Lord was worth any risk that his calling might bring. Just being
1: prepared and knowing that the Lord is with you, whether you survive the process or not, but you gotta be willing to put it on the line. So it's really basically training for martyrdom. You know, it's like, you know, Lord, if you want my life, you've got my life, well, they can't kill me twice.
0: welcome again to the voice of the martyrs radio my name is todd nettleton i am very excited about our conversation this week i want to introduce you to uh, one of my friends one of my former professors dr mike fullingham is a longtime professor at oklahoma wesleyan university uh, including teaching in the persecuted church ministry program there and so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about his missions career before he was a professor If you go back to 1982, our family, I was 12 years old. My family moved to Papua New Guinea. Uh, Dr. Mike and his wife, Barbara, were also in Papua New Guinea. About that same four-year period, our our terms overlapped. Uh, In fact, at the Missionary Children's Hostel where I lived, my parents were the parents there at the hostel. Uh, Dr. Mike's son, Jeremy, was my roommate that first year there. Uh, He was seven. I was 12. Uh, Mostly we got along pretty well, I think. So, uh, Dr. Mike Fullingham, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thank you very much. I have great memories of when you and your family arrived in the Highlands of Papua New Guinea. It's been a few years It's been ago. a long time ago, yeah. <laughs>
0: a... a little bit has happened since yeah, then. Yeah, Let's go back to the very beginning because we have people listening to this who are serving right now in gospel service overseas. We have some who are thinking about serving, maybe even in the preparation process. And I think we have some who God wants to go serve. Uh, maybe they haven't heard that call or they haven't said yes to that call yet. Let's talk about that call in your life. And how did you hear that call? How did you make that decision? Okay, I'm going to pack up and leave America. And and the Bible talks about the ends of the earth. You've been there. Alia is pretty close to the ends of the earth. How did God call you out of America to go there?
1: I have reflected on that a long time. And it was— It was not an overnight decision. It was a 12-year process from my conscious memory of responding to a message that I heard from a missionary from West Africa who had come to my church. I was in the ninth grade. Uh, Paul Decker, who had been a missionary in Sierra Leone, West Africa, was speaking at my home church, and he used Jeremiah five nineteen as a text. Now, at ninth grade, I wasn't questioning his exegesis, so <laughs> but he but the verse ends up in saying, "You will serve strangers in a land that's not your own," and he used that. As a challenge to the church and to young people to serve strangers in a land that was not your own. And I have to admit, Todd, God grabbed my heart in ninth grade. And that's when I, I made a conscious decision. Whatever I do, I need, to, I need to do well to serve God in a land that's not my own. Okay, wow. That was ninth grade. Well, four years later, I find myself at a precursor of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, West, uh, Millville Wesleyan College. Four years later, that same missionary was on furlough again, and he got the circuit where he came to the school and and spoke. And I responded as a freshman in college, yes, Lord, that's exactly what I'm doing. I will be be doing just that. And that was like, that's 1967 when that was. And, And a few years later, I find myself in Papua New Guinea and 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 uh, serving the lord and of course there's a lot of preparation prior to that from college to grad school and on but the next part of my not knowing my call came when i came home on furlough and was speaking in various churches one church that i was speaking in was in iowa and the pastor's wife had been my ymwb young missionary workers band children's program at my home church she had been there as a young lady and she introduced me that night as the speaker and she talked about being the youth pastor's wife and having in charge of children's program she said there was this young boy in 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 the church that we had those little short pews in the basement of our church, and he was over top of those pews and underneath those (laughs) around. You might call him an overactive boy. And when I would share the missionary story, he came right to that front pew and sat and listened very carefully. Wow. That's our speaker tonight. It's like, okay, I'm a little embarrassed, stand up, (laughs) being a hyperactive, overactive kid, but it stuck in my heart, something Something have, was there. Something even, must have grabbed my heart yep. as a young boy, that I'm listening. Well, on that same furlough, I, I was speaking in another church in Indiana this time, and one of the one of the staff members of uh, Global Partners, it was called Westland World Missions then. One of the staff members introduced me that night as a speaker, and I, I guess I should get used to how people are going to introduce me. But anyway, he 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 talked about a woman, a mother in Oklahoma, who sent money to Global Partners or Wesleyan World Missions and said, all that she said was, my son is going to be a missionary, month after month, month after month, year after year. He said, finally, I wrote back to this lady back in Oklahoma and said, ma'am, we don't know your son. We have no, we've never heard this name before. He hasn't applied or anything like that. What? What are we going to do with this money if he doesn't become a missionary? He said, this woman wrote back a very short note and said, what I've given to God, I've given. Then he turned to me and he said, that's our speaker tonight. That's the first time I'd ever heard that about my mother. Wow. And I have no idea what my mother saw that I'm consciously not aware of, that she would be prompted to start sending money Okay. So that's kind of, I mean, I have a conscious awareness. Obviously, there is this other component that other people saw something in me. And then the more I've reflected on my own experience, I'm going to take you way back to when I was a little boy. I grew up during Jim Crow law days in Oklahoma. So I'm not the youngest person around here, but I remember the racism our, our, our hometown had two black schools, one uh, high school, Booker T. Washington High School, and then we had a grade school, George Washington and Carver. And before the 57 mandate to integrate schools, I would have been in school at that point, about 1954, I would have been in first grade. And they didn't have enough black teachers at the grade school. So the kids on my side of town, you know how there used to be really segregated, strong, segregated areas in hometown. We had one in the southeast part of town and another in the northwest. And I live close to the northwest, about three blocks away from that proverbial road that separated black and white. I didn't see color. My little friend went to my grade school because they didn't have the grade school open for him. So here I am in first grade. And it never occurred to me that I should not be a friend, you know. And when I saw my son playing with his friends in Papua New Guinea, it was like my childhood coming back to me. Yeah, that's right. There's something right about this, that he can play with his friends in a Papua New Guinean village, and he's white and they're black. I tell that story to say, I wonder if the heart of a missionary, the call began at... At a at, at an a age, very where, young age. At a very young age that I did not see different. These are my that's my friend.
0: We're talking this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dr. Mike Fullingham. He is a longtime professor at training future missionaries at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Dr. Mike, how did you then go from from sort of what I will say general missionary service to really narrowing in on linguistics and translation and studying the language and was that kind of a natural bent of yours anyway, or did something happen that, that kind of focused you in that direction? Wow. wow, that's a great question.
1: Well, ninth grade, as I said, that's when I started my emotional, mental, and spiritual preparation. I read every book that I could on I, from the series Jungle Doctor book series. I, I had envisioned myself being a medical doctor making a difference in the lives of the people. But it's interesting that while I was in high school, I took Latin. Well, a little that I know the Latin would be like a precursor to a linguistic study because you're learning a dead language, but you're learning to analyze grammar and context and all that kind of stuff. And so when I went on to college, there was no such thing as mission classes. You know, you just studied to be a pastor or something. But when I transferred to Southern Nazarene University, there was a Nazarene missionary that had, was, had left the field from Korea, and he was taking courses in cultural anthropology at the University of Oklahoma. In fact, he was working on his doctorate. And, man, did he turn me on to the social sciences about learning cognitively about other cultures. And then one day, he makes the comment in class. He said, I've run across a group of people down here at the University of Oklahoma that call themselves the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which is the academic branch of Wicklow Bible right. Translators. Yeah. And so he made the comment in class in one of our mission classes, that if you guys are really serious about missions, you're going to need some linguistics. So I found a way when I was pastoring uh, uh, a church in Oklahoma City before ever going to New Guinea. Would you let me go to summer school at the University of Oklahoma? I'm really trying to prepare for going to the mission field. I said, yeah, as long as you don't drop in any of your preaching. Well, I started taking linguistics. A little, man, I was not a bad student in school. But linguistics ate my lunch, (laughs) okay? It was so esoteric, uh, jargon, lots of language that you can look up in a dictionary, and that word's not even in the dictionary because it's something specialized about language. And I was confused for about six weeks into that 10-week program. And and that was putting doubt in me that I could ever be a missionary if I can't understand linguistics. And I just prayed one night, Lord, you've got to help me. I've never had difficulty in school. And that following Monday when I, when I went to classes, and I, this was going to be my last week, I was quitting. I didn't want to be a failure, so I was going to quit. And the light bulb just came on in class. When the teacher said something, I raised my hand and I answered the question. And he said, you got it. How would you know that? Well, I had been reading so many books on the side trying to figure out where this linguistics was going. And then all of a sudden, it was like bread on butter. This is the crowning edge of my training. Without without language learning, you don't last long in the right. field.
0: And I think of us as we pray for gospel workers yes. right now. yes. That's one of the things we can pray. Lord, turn on the language.
1: Turn on the language thing because if they get through four years without being somewhat fluent, I'm going to say it's got to be at least a level three out of level five. Level five would be fluent, native speaker, make jokes. That's your highest level of language learning when you can make jokes. But if you get to a level three, if you don't get to there, most likely you won't return because it's embarrassing. How long have you been here? And you know what's being referred to. Your lousy accent, you know, and um, and we can't hear our own accent, right? We can't hear it, you know. So that's an important prayer that many of our missionaries, as adults, feel very greatly. Or they'll find a way to be comfortable using an uh, an interpreter. I won't use the word interrupter again, but <laughs> you won't you won't be able to speak to a issue hard issue if you have to yep. have somebody else. Hey, would you help me translate here? And you're just wanting it to be one-on-one with another person and you bring in a third person. It's really challenging to yeah. do that.
0: Yeah, Fluency is more than just being able to find a bathroom and buy your groceries. Coming to the point of having a spiritual heart conversation, heart conversation. What are your deepest needs? What are your deepest concerns? How can I pray for you? That's that's a lot more than, hey, where's your bathroom? I know. Um, it. Yeah. And yeah. so getting it people deep. to that point, and it doesn't happen— in 6 months. No it does not. It and, does not. And so
1: I think It's a long it's a lifelong process yeah. actually.
0: Let's talk about the adjustment for you coming home because you came home to finish up your doctorate in linguistics. Yes, yes. With the complete understanding that you were just as soon as that was done you were back on a plane back to Papua New Guinea. That didn't happen that way. Talk about that transition and talk about how hard it was for you because I think your heart I think part of your heart is still in Papua. Oh New Guinea.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, where do you start with that saga? Between my two furloughs. So I I served in Papua New Guinea for eight years over an 11-year period. So from 75 to 79 was my first term, 79, 80, and 81, 82 was spent in grad school. I finished all of my coursework before going. And then I felt like I was home so long that I needed to get back to New Guinea. So we went back in 1982 through 86. But my professors at the University of Texas at Arlington felt like I would never come back and finish. I would just probably be an all but, Mm -hmm. ABD, all but dissertation. Finished it all, but you couldn't finish it really. Well, that was heavy over me as I went back to Papua New Guinea. And so I was bound to determined to finish my degree when I got back, which I did in, in, in 1987. I finished. And then when the word got around to some of our Christian universities that I had finished a PhD in linguistics and anthropology, and, and all of a sudden I started getting all kinds of calls about, hey, would you come and interview for a job? We were waiting during that semester because Transitions are really difficult on missionary kids, They are, and I did not want to come back. If I had left to go to New Guinea the moment I finished the dissertation, we would have come back in four years when Jeremy was a senior, and he would have graduated people he didn't even know anything about. I wanted to—it was hard on my oldest, always changing and finding new friends. So I waited a year, intensely, like took an extra gap year. And that's when all these calls came in. It's like, I am not applying for any position. What is going on here? Because, number one, all of these colleges were Christian universities. I'm doing God's call. Mm -hmm. Going back to New Guinea is part of God's work. Well, which one of these God's works do I do? do? It was the most confusing time of my life. Well, I took a a one-year job at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I said, okay, okay, I'll I'll help out a year. And during that year, it's like I I read read one of Dwight L. Moody's statements about it's better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people. Well, that didn't help me out too much, but I was still wanting to head back to New Guinea. By waiting that year, then we could have gone back over, and then my son would have graduated there, and we would have been a proper transitional year. But the Lord had us stay the next year. And the next year, and I still left my, my possessions in Papua New Guinea. I kept them there for five years thinking, Lord, because now you have a daughter that's coming up. What, what's the best timing for the school for those kids? So you get sandwiched between your family needs and between what, God, what are you wanting? I, I, I need to be back in New Guinea. The things that I remember doing my dissertation, I need to put into action. But after five years, it was finally sending those things home. With a tear in my eye, I could hardly speak about New Guinea without crying because it was so important for me to be a part of that, what it had done to my life, et cetera. But the Lord gave me the opportunity to start training other people. And, you know, it's God's work. Mm-hmm. It's all God's work. and. It took me a you, while to get through the transition, though.
0: Did you feel at that point like somehow you were betraying your call? Or like... oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's like whoa. that's still hard to talk about um, because I I trained hard and long for living and working in in Papua New Guinea, and um, a lot of the young people that I worked with have already I get facebook messages so and so has died in the village, you know, and it's like oh i I could have been there, I would have been there, you know, but I wasn't there, yeah, I felt like that's on that's on my human side, <laughs> <laughs> my human side would have said, Yeah, you wimped out, or no, it wasn't that at all it was it was almost like I didn't give up, it was like God was steering the ship in a different direction and Little did I know that I would be training missionaries for All Points Bulletin, over 200-plus probably. Gone through a program that I developed, and okay, Lord. But even, even a few years ago when I finished with that, I said, okay, I finished. Now get me back. <laughs> so it's
0: better to train 10 people than to do the work, work of 10, of 10 people. people. Yes. But you've trained 200 people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who are out now, like Many. you say, I Many. I think every continent probably. Yes, right. Um, yeah. Serving the Lord. Learning languages.
1: That's why they're still there, because they've learned languages.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dr. Mike Fullingham. He is a longtime professor at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, training, as he has said, about 200 gospel workers who are spread out around the world. Mike, I want to talk about preparing mission workers, because a lot of people who listen to this show, they are mission workers. They are going to be mission workers. They're wrestling maybe with a call to mission work. When you meet a student, a freshman comes to you at Oklahoma Wesleyan and says, hey, uh, God's called me. I'm going to be a missionary. What are the qualities that you want to see in that person that says they're not just going to be a missionary. They're going to be successful. They're going to be long term. They're going to have the, the stick to to be fruitful over the long haul.
1: Boy, if I had that gift, that would be a, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I know what the materials say. But, you know, I've been on personnel committee for helping select missionaries and making final decisions about where they go, and I am not ready to take God's place on—because He uses the weak things of our world uh, to make strong things look silly altogether. All but there are certain qualities that, obviously, you, you need, and, but the Lord can change all of those if a person's heart is in the right place, number one. But it takes flexibility— if a student is rigid about things, that's that's probably not a good thing and I'm not sure that I'm the one to knock off those rough,
0: rough edges. Just traveling overseas, <laughs> I mean, just riding airplanes, yes. you have to be flexible. There there's if you can't kind of adjust as situations change. Change. You're you, going to have a hard time moving yeah. to another country. You can't you can't in map in it and,
1: out. So there's a lot of things you can test for. You you can you there there are cognitive profile test uh, but I don't want I don't want to cross anybody off if they didn't do well on the test but you can look at some tests and say you're going to have a rough ride if you don't work on flexibility and openness or if you're like a bull in a China shop uh, you' got to have some perceptual acuity you got to learn to read your your body language what what they're thinking etc so there's a lot of there's a lot of features that you can look at a list of traits and say okay Lord, I need to work on this, this, and this, and it takes a while to work through that. But fortunately, you don't have to do it on your own because there, there's a lot of instruments and a lot of organizations that send people out. We'll have a pre-field training, and you work through those kinds of protocols and find out where you're, where, you're, where you're short, you know, at that particular point. Now, we're not talking about personality tests. There is no such thing as a personality test that says whether you'll make it or whether you don't, God. introvert or extrovert. No, no, no. They're equally successful. They're equally able to learn language. So there is no language aptitude test either. We all speak our native tongue probably pretty fairly well, you know, which tells me your brain's functioning. But when you're an adult, you've got to develop new pathways, and it takes some tools to do that and but it's the dogmatism that stops that from happening.
0: Yeah. The other thing I think about is is the willingness to be embarrassed. Oh. <laughs> like like you got to try the language and sometimes you're going to do a terrible job and you just got to make peace with that as opposed to, and I'm one of those who doesn't like to be embarrassed. I don't like to be wrong. I don't want to try it and fail. I want to wait till I have it down and then I'll try it. Yeah, But that's a real handicap. No, no, yeah. Language has to be
1: a game. It's fun to play. You don't expect to do it well the first time, but keep trying, keep trying. The point is, this is not like our classroom experience. This is real life experience. And boy, when you learn another language, you learn another, you got a window on another cultural view of things. And it's like, oh, it's so exhilarating. But that has to exhilarate you. So I, I wouldn't say any one trait knock somebody out unless they have been thoroughly traumatized then all the literature would say if somebody has had serious trauma in their life they probably should not ever apply to missions because the likelihood of that reoccurring is pretty likely because
0: there's a lot of things that can take place when you're out of your own cultural context so yeah yeah we're talking this week on Voice of Martyrs Radio with Dr. Mike Fullingham. He is a longtime professor at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, uh, training gospel workers to go out all over the world. Mike, one of the things that obviously gospel workers are thinking about now, and some of those within the program at Oklahoma Wesleyan, others are going to dangerous places, going to hard places. Um, someone has said, you know, all the easy places are reached. We've already sent missionaries there. That's
1: why they're reached. The
0: places that are left are going to be hard. How do you, in class and in conversation and in fellowship with these future missionaries, how do you prepare them for that? Like, like it's going to be hard. It's going to be dangerous. There's going to be days where, you know, you're risking your life. You're risking your family. How do you Kind of help them think about that or pray about that or, or, or consider that possibility. Well, we have
1: several. I mean, there's several classes where you deal with, you know, the whole notion of persecution. It is every Christian's lot to suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you're traveling, it wasn't that you're, you potentially could be victimized. I know several missionaries that were killed in New Guinea, some by mistake, others in, quite intentionally. So it's just being prepared and knowing that the Lord is with you, whether you survive the process or not. But you've got to be willing to put it on the line. So it's really basically training for martyrdom. You know, it's like, you know, Lord, if you want my life, you've got my life. Well, right. I can't kill me twice. I've already given my life to you, you know. I remember traveling for VOM once to go to Pakistan. And this is just about a few months after an American drone missile went astray and hit a house of civilians. Missed the missed the, missed the wrong. Got the wrong house. And um, death to American signs everywhere in Pakistan. And I remember my wife turning to me, in in the in the house, and saying, "Are you still planning on going to Pakistan?" I said, "Sweetheart, you know I died to Christ once. So they they can't kill me twice. You know it's like that. Yeah, sure, I'm going." And uh, you travel with your eyes wide open, yeah. but your, your life is in the Lord's hands one way or the other. But you've got to work it out. So we do have yeah. students writing out their theology of suffering. How do, they, how do they deal with it? What verses are you going to hold on to? And how to debrief things when you've been traumatized, and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of mental health issues that you have to work through as well, too. And, and the Lord is there. And many ministry organizations have, have personnel that help people through mm-hmm. trauma and get them through those things as well.
0: As we finish up, Dr. Mike, we always want to equip listeners to pray. Yes. Um, You have talked about the fact that there's a lot of one-term missionaries. They they go for one term, and they come home for furlough, and they never go back. How do we pray? How can you help us to pray for those serving in their first term right now? They're— They're running headlong into culture shock, and they're in the depths of trying to learn language and feeling like a failure. And maybe their kids are having a hard time adjusting to the school and a new language and a new everything. You were there. It's been a while ago, but you were there. You were that young family making an adjustment to Papua New Guinea. How do we pray for those first-term missionaries?
1: Number one, we can be praying for people on every adjustment that they're going to be making. It could be language, it could be with their kids, it could be routines, it could be driving on the other side of the road like it was in New Guinea. Everything you do is stressful, okay? So there's the personal life of the missionary and the family, the relationship between husband and wife. It's like a pressure cooker. And then the missionary has to get along with other missionaries. So there's a focus on the personal life of the missionary. And then if they're part of a team, they, they, we need to bathe the whole team in prayer because there's various ways of seeing things, various personalities. You know, somebody could grate you in the way they talk and or the way they behave. You pray for those team conflicts as well. And then, of course, there's the third context of praying. Lord, as they develop relationships with nationals, help that the people that they're there to help. Help these missionaries to drink coffee in the right place, find the right person to talk to. Help those divine appointments. Wherever, you're, wherever your routine is taking you, help them to have meaningful interactions and develop friendships. And it's not always easy for people in local cultures. All you have to think right here is, how many foreigners are our friends yep. here in this culture? Are you ready to go up to somebody that doesn't quite speak your language really well and say, hey, uh, let, do you need some help? Or, well, you, I mean, that's the point. Uh, you're expecting a stranger in their country, a foreigner, come up and develop a relationship with you, a foreigner, can't even speak their language properly. Well, pray for those divine appointments that somebody would be intrigued by, hey, I see you need help. What can I do for you, you know? And and so those. I think in those three areas of personal life, intermission, and the people themselves. So, yeah.
0: You've talked about in your own life the, the sense of calling that you had. I think that's one I would add to your list is yes. just pray for them to have that strong sense, sense of calling. Call,
1: that, and not abandon that this calling. This is
0: what God has called me to do. That's right. That's right. Yes, it's hard. Yes, today was terrible. But this is what God called me to yeah, do. Right. Let's yeah. talk now about praying for some. They're past that first term. Maybe, they're, maybe they've are Maybe they been there 20 years. Maybe they speak the language like a champion. That's great. How do we how do we keep praying for them after they're over some of those kind of initial hurdles and now it's mm-hmm. it's kind of regular mm-hmm, life mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think one of the greatest things is is the changing role of a missionary uh, i think you know when maybe if if they're on the field 20 and 30 years that puts them back in the 90s when they went to the field and maybe they were into church planting and developing that. But now you've got a whole team around you of nationals. So making that transition, you don't have to be front and center for everything that goes on. You know, enable people, be a facilitator, be a coordinator rather than having to be front and center. You don't need to serve on every committee, you know, and get your opinion known. It's like you listen to it. Listen to local leadership. Maybe learn from them as well, you know. And there's never an end to stopping learning language. So that one should be kept going right wow. through to the very end. That's why I'm sad because I've lost part of my New Guinea <laughs> language because I've not had anybody to talk to. But for missionaries, they should be keep right on going. And, and, but that changing role is very significant. I had a very dominant role in New Guinea but as a quote-unquote district missionary, that was, and it's like, what would that be like to step out of that role, and what would that look like? You don't, you don't need me here, but I'm here to support what you're doing, and making that role shift properly, you mm-hmm.
0: know, so that the. I, next, I think back to the D.L. Moody quote: and yes. instead of doing the work of ten people, now think about training ten train, people train and people. Yeah. take and, your place. And who are the people that that you're passing this on to? That's right, right, and. You know, ideally, they're local people. They're, yes, they're absolutely people well. That there has, there to so, yeah. has to be local people. Yeah, has to be. So, yeah. I I appreciate that. And then let's talk one more prayer request. Those in leadership, you've been a part of of choosing missionaries or or helping through that selection process. Those in leadership who are sending out, their— they're recruiting. They're trying to find people they're that God is to calling. Find, yes. mm-hmm. They're sending people, and sometimes they're sending people to really difficult, really hard places. Um, how do we pray for those who are in leadership over the mission organizations that we pray for and that we support?
1: Well, I'm acquainted with several different groups, and I, I, I know there's a serious burden because they can't get out and recruit missionaries. I mean, they can't get out and recruit places that they're— they where where do missionaries come from? They come from churches, and our our churches in some ways. I know with COVID and so much shut down over the last, I, I think our mission personnel have seen a, a the recruitment pile just deplete itself. People not wanting to go where it's where you could be killed, where you could die because of lack of medical care or whatever. So pray for the pray for those who are in leadership positions, Lord they've got to become so creative to find out where where, where the next group coming from. You know, Lord, what are you going to use to, uh, you know, in generations past, martyrdoms were used as tools to to bring more in. The calling is still there. And so uh, I just pray for our leaders that somehow that creativity, they'll find avenues to uh, to reach out to people, to get the call out. And we need to be not only just leaders – I think it's praying for church pastors to make mm-hmm. sure that they're preaching the whole gospel to the whole congregation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Go it's into not ju- all the world. It's just go. not us here that need help. Places are unreached in our world today because of reason. They become very dangerous places. They have yeah. been and always have been. So now it's time. Racing up third world leaders as well, too. We have a lot of Hispanic Pastors that are going as missionaries to places, the team needs to broaden yep. basically, the vision. And, yeah, and for our church leaders, for our mission leaders, how to how to tap onto those resources that we've never never seen before, you know.
0: Dr. Mike Fullingham has been our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Dr. Mike, I uh, I'm very grateful for you. I'm grateful for your impact on my life personally, but also your willingness to come in and share your experiences and. Uh, thanks for being our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thank you for having me. It's tremendously humbling. I've been known this organization for a long time, and thank you for allowing
0: me this opportunity. Thank you for listening this week to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the free Voice of the Martyrs magazine Just come to vomradio.net. Click on the free magazine link at the top of the page. We would love to send that to you. Also, I'd appreciate it if you would take a few moments to rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening. That's a great way to help us reach new listeners with the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters. You can also help us reach new listeners by sharing this episode with a Christian friend and with your pastor. Maybe you want to text a link to them right now. You can also give financially to support VOM's work helping persecuted Christians, providing Bibles, and supporting frontline ministry. Simply click on the Donate tab under More at the top of vomradio.net, or you can go directly vomradio.net slash donate. Thank you for taking the time to listen this week. I hope you'll join our conversation again next week. To hear more stories of the faithfulness of persecuted Christians and the amazing things God is doing in hostile and restricted nations, right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Podcast Network.